Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Welcome to the podcast, and great to have you. We're examining what it means to have fellowship with God, and more specifically, how to maintain that fellowship. In our last couple of episodes, we saw the importance of confession of sin and the necessity of keeping our confession of sin up to date. Today, we turn our attention to the second means that the Apostle John gives in his first epistle to maintain fellowship with God. The second responsibility to maintaining fellowship with God is to make sure our obedience to God is up to date. In our last episode, it was making our confession of sin up to date. Today, making sure your obedience to God is up to date. John says in chapter 2 and verse 3 through 6, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, at first hearing, that might either seem elementary or strange or perhaps both elementary, because you would assume everyone already knows that if you're in continual disobedience, you cannot have fellowship with God, or it just may seem strange to you because it may appear like I'm introducing works into a relationship that's based on God's grace to us, or it may seem a combination of the two. I will not argue that John's point of ongoing obedience is not well known and should not be considered basic. It is both basic and common knowledge, but not everyone who is practicing obedience can say that their fellowship with God is special or that it has much reality. Can you? Do you see yourself as a compliant Christian, doing God's will, yet your fellowship with God lacks reality? And how many of us obey God all the time and perfectly? None of us perfectly obey. But some of you can state for the record that you would say, for the most part, you try to keep the commands of God, and when you disobey, you confess your sin. How many heads do I have nodding in agreement with me right now? You believe you're living the best you can in obedience to God. If that's true, then why is your fellowship coming short? Why is your communion with God so meager? I hope you can see that this is not as elementary as the first impression would make it. But what about the charge that I'm introducing works into the equation when your relationship with God is founded upon His amazing grace? Is there anything to the objection? Well, of course there could be. If I was saying that you keep yourself in God's grace by your works, well, then your objection would stand. We are not saved by our good merit, and therefore we cannot be unsaved by our poor or evil merit. 
the doctrine of justification by faith eliminates human work or achievement to either attain God's righteousness or to maintain it. It eliminates the idea that one can keep himself in a proper relationship with God by good works. Therefore, I am not suggesting that obedience or works have anything to do with being just before God and in a right relationship with Him. What I believe the Apostle John is saying is that to stay in the light of God and be in close fellowship with Him, I must be going in the same direction as God is going. I need to be where He is for closeness and intimacy to occur. Obedience is the way I practice that closeness. My obedience keeps me in agreement with God, as the prophet Amos asked, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? If I'm not walking in obedience, then I'm not in agreement with God. We are in two different locations. He's walking in the light, but I'm not. How can fellowship occur in that scenario unless the fellowship is discipline. It simply cannot. If obedience is not a work that justifies or sanctifies us, then how does it contribute to maintaining our fellowship with God? What is it about obedience that draws us near to God in sweet communion? It's not the obedience that does it. It's the faith and love from which Obedience flows that keeps you in fellowship with God. And if obedience is not occurring, then that simply tells us that love and faith are also not working. And if faith working through love is not happening, then of course fellowship with God is not happening either. Biblical obedience is an obedience that originates from a loving trust in God's character because you believe God to be too good to be unkind, and too wise to make a mistake, you put your confidence in Him. You have fallen in love with a person who is absolutely good in every conceivable way and in ways you can't even comprehend. His love for you has radically altered your life and has forever changed both you and your destiny. Your faith in Christ is founded upon the fact that you've discovered Him to be altogether lovely. Your heart was smitten, overcome, overwhelmed by love for Him. His love swept over your heart like a raging tide that washed away all animosity you once had toward the Lord. One huge characteristic of your cleansed heart is a faith that works through love. Paul says as much in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. This faith works itself out in obedience to His commands and will for you. This is the nature of faith. It believes what a trust worthy person says to be true. And so, for example, if you're, if you're not feeling well to the point you need medical attention, you go and see your doctor. Your doctor is not only a highly trained physician, respected by all his patients and peers, 
but he's also a personal friend. He's someone you have known since you were both kids. You've observed his life and know him to be a sincere man of integrity. Therefore, after his examination, he writes you a prescription and orders that you explicitly follow his instructions. He tells you that if you do so, you'll make a full recovery in about seven to ten days. What do you then do? Do you take the prescription to the pharmacy and follow the dosage until you are well, or do you toss the script into a waste can on your way out of the doctor's office? No, you don't throw the prescription away. Instead, you follow the instructions of your doctor and friend. And the reason you do is because you trust him. True faith begets obedience. But there is an obedience that does not work out of the faith that loves the Lord. It believes only enough to realize that if you don't obey, you'll suffer consequences that you don't want any part of. It's called legal obedience. Legal obedience doesn't promote fellowship because it's not based upon faith working through love in God. But it's faith in faith itself. You look to yourself to keep yourself out of jeopardy with God by obeying God the best you can. This is the spirit of self-righteousness. It's a service rendered to God for only your own self-interest and not for God's pleasure. But I don't want to be diverted by the subject of legal obedience. I simply bring it up because there are many who try to obey the commandments of God but do not offer him a loving trust. This kind of obedience is not what John is discussing. Such is disobedience at the most fundamental level in that it does not glorify the Lord. It thinks of him and portrays him to others as a tyrant, one who is severe. On the other hand, when loving obedience is given to the Lord Jesus, then fellowship with him is experienced. The very act of obedience is a kind of communion with God. It's you expressing your love and faith in him. It's you telling him that you see him for what he is, absolutely and altogether beautiful and faithful. That is communion, my friend. And it's received by the Lord as the language of the heart, the language of deep affection. But when our obedience is not up to date, then we are not communicating love. We're demonstrating that our love has weakened and trust has lessened. I remember an event that made what I'm talking to you real in my life. Many years ago, a brother in Christ and I experienced a severing in our relationship. The dear friend said some hurtful things about me to others, which led to a small division in the church, and it came down that he actually falsely accused me of something that was the fault of another. I was so wounded, deeply wounded, that I couldn't bring myself to go to him and try to reconcile the relationship. I was his pastor, but I was the one paralyzed by the separation that I couldn't even execute my duties as a shepherd and pursue him. The rejection was so painful that I let it cripple me. Obviously, he and his wife left the church. The loss of his friendship was so deep. But for whatever reason, 
I just couldn't reach out to him. A year went by, and often in prayer my dear brother would come to my mind, and I felt the nudging of the Spirit to go to him and try to be reconciled to him. I would argue with the Lord that the brother should come to me. It was he who had sinned against me, not I against him. He should humble himself and repent. He lived up the road from where I lived, and I would often have to drive by his home to get to town, and without many exceptions. I'd see his house and again feel in my heart that the Lord wanted me to stop and seek him out, but I never stopped. Another year went by, and again, many times while in prayer, this brother would be pressed upon my mind as if the Lord was encouraging me to reach out to him, but I never obeyed that inner prompting. Another year went by, and another, and sadly another year. The internal compulsion grew stronger that it was I— I was to make the first move. The stronger the pressure, the stronger I dug in my heels and resisted. And one day, as I was returning home from a trip to town, I drove by his house as I had done countless times before in the five and a half years. But this time, the internal urge was overwhelming with the sense of warning. This was to end. I had to submit and obey. And so, when I returned to the office that day, I prayed in a real and meaningful repentance, asking for God's cleansing and the riddance of a proud heart. I asked Him to humble humble me, help me to humble myself and reach out to my friend. Immediately, the hardness of my heart melted away. I felt my Father's overwhelming love, and as I had been resolved not to go to him those ensuing years. Now I was determined that I had to find him at that moment and to ask for his forgiveness. Yes, it was he that sinned against me, but I had sinned against him by not humbling myself and living in my bitterness and self-pity. I called his home, and his wife answered, I asked for her husband, to which she replied that he was on the job site. He owned his own construction company, and so I asked her for the address where he was working. She gave it to me. I jumped into my car and drove to the address. And as I pulled up, I saw him there, waiting for me, having been notified by his wife that I wanted to see him. I sprang out of my car with my arms wide open, and he ran to me, and as we embraced in tears and in repentance, we both shared our apologies, sorrows, and confessions. But that's not the end of the story. Straight away, after our reconciliation, I was aware of the nearness of God's presence from that day forward. I had not realized how much I had lost that awareness. But with its return, I understood that although I was going through the motions of walking with God, I had only been fooling myself. I had not been in close proximity to the Lord and was only growing farther and farther away. That day set in motion a series of events in my life that has been no less than monumental for me and others. Within weeks of this, a revival broke out in our church in days. 
Several people were converted, including my two sons. The power of God was on my ministry, and my ministry was renewed, and the church knew something was different about me. As I look back on all of this, I have the advantage of hindsight and many years of thoughtful reflection. My conclusions are very simple. They are, first, when your obedience is not up to date, you can deceive yourself that you are in fellowship with God when, in fact, you're not. Second, the Lord doesn't altogether shut everything down until you get your obedience back up to date. He's very patient and long-suffering. There were still shreds of evidence of God's activity in my life and blessing on my ministry. A year after the separation happened, the Lord actually worked some amazing things in my life. I can only deduce that He's very gracious and even uses His goodness and forbearance as a means to induce repentance. Thirdly, I must also conclude that if obedience is not renewed, fellowship will eventually suffer, and there must be a reconversion, meaning a turning back to God in humble submission. I don't mean get saved all over again, but like Peter, there has to be a turning back, a change. Is your obedience up to date? Is there something God has brought to your mind that you need to repent and be renewed? friend? Start today and bring your obedience up to date and enjoy fellowship with God. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please check out our newly updated website, realtruthmatters.com, for all our resources. And if you'd like to receive our monthly email newsletter, you can go to the website and sign up, or you can just send us your email address to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web, realtruthmatters, all one word, dot com. In the newsletter, we'll update you and share what we've seen God do through the work of the ministry of RTM, as well as give you our prayer needs, and we do need your prayers. We never ask for money, so you don't need to fear receiving appeals for giving from any of our communications. And if you would, we ask that you'd also please help us to get the word out that the podcast has resumed and share it with family and friends. This podcast is all about biblical spirituality, helping you to see how truth intersects with life and is the basis of experiencing the fellowship of God. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening today. And may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.